The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is the Ellis Martin Report. You'll hear expert insight, commentary, and potential financial opportunity. We want you to know up front, companies featured on this program have given us cash money to be portrayed here. Some of the analyst segments are sponsored as well. On the web, find us at ellismartinreport.com. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. In this segment, I'm speaking with Greg Johnson, the president and CEO of Prophecy Platinum. Prophecy Platinum trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NKL and on the OTCQX as PNIKF. Prophecy Platinum is a mining company focused on the acquisition and development of Platinum Group Metals, PGM projects, in politically stable, mining-friendly jurisdictions. Prophecy's 100% owned Wellgreen property is one of the world's largest underdeveloped nickel sulfide projects with a very unique platinum and palladium resource that creates very compelling economics. Mr. Johnson has a long history in the mining sector, beginning with Placer Dome, now Barrick Gold. He was a co-founder of widely successful Nova Gold and most recently helmed South American Silver. Greg, welcome back to the program. It's good to be back. For new listeners to the program, why don't you give us a brief snapshot of the company, if you don't mind? You bet. Prophecy Platinum is a a Canadian-listed and QX-listed company that is uh, focused on development of a world-class scale platinum-palladium asset that's located up in the Yukon Territory of Canada. Seven million ounces in platinum and palladium metal in the ground, which which makes it world-class in scale. Uh, There are very few assets of of that caliber anywhere in the world, but particularly outside of uh, Southern Africa or Russia, where over 90% of the world's platinum is produced. We've recently put together a new team, and we're moving forward on an exciting early-stage development company and project. Two of the strongest points about your company, other than the size of the deposit, is that the Wellgreen project in the Yukon that you just overviewed is very close to infrastructure and the Alaska Highway, and it's open pitable. Yeah, both those factors are really important. And, you know, in the mining business, where your project is located is, is almost as important as the, the size and quality of the project, because if you can't access it, or if it's exceedingly expensive to put infrastructure in, you know, that's going to be a challenge for the development. So the fact that this project's just off of the paved Alaska Highway, has access to two different Alaskan ports, is, is a huge advantage for us. And in a market where some of your listeners are probably familiar that you know capital cost rise concerns and things have, have been present even for the major mining companies it's the kind of situation that is going to help us allow the project to move forward without these massive cost estimates in terms of building the project and we think this is the type of project that the mid-tier and larger mining companies are going to be particularly interested in going forward because it's going to be modest sized 
in terms of capital investment, but has the potential to be very significant producer. In fact, our estimates are that this could be one of the largest producing platinum palladium mines in North America and one of the largest in the world. You believe you have double, if not triple, the assets that you already have. Pure speculation on my part, of course, but you're going to be drilling to see what else you might have in the immediate area. Yeah, we're pretty excited. Our, our team is, uh, is a technical team, strong in, in the geology side as well as the engineering. We have developed several new targets that we're quite excited to be testing in this year's uh, field program. We've done a combination of what we call geophysical work, which are surveys that test either the magnetic or electrical properties of the ore body and give us back a, a signal that we can map and develop targets from, along with sampling the soils. If soils are weathered bedrocks. If you have elevated metals in your soils, it's a great targeting tool to use for testing. And we have a number of very large targets that have both elevated copper, platinum, palladium, and nickel in the soils along with these geophysical targets that we're quite excited to, to test. And one of these is about the same size as the current well green area that hosts the 7 million ounce resource. And the second one is about one and a half times larger. Both these areas have seen historic exploration work, but they really haven't been drill tested. We're pretty excited to get on the ground in those two areas, particularly where these are targets that are coming right to surface and could be amenable to you know shallow open pit mining that could really enhance the economics of the project. When some think of platinum, they relate it to jewelry. But the fact is that it's a key component in automobiles. As the BRIC countries continue their industrial growth and economic expansion, the need for platinum and palladium increases. There will always be automobiles. That's the single largest segment of use for both platinum and palladium, particularly palladium, which is, uh, it's been in the news here recently. You know, it's up probably more than 20% if you look back over the last year or so. You know, certainly outperforming both platinum and gold, uh, which is gold has particularly been relatively flat. Almost 70% of our palladium goes into catalytic converters for gasoline engines. It's typically a mix between platinum and palladium. Yeah, these two metals, very strong growth profile, largely driven off of growth in automobile sales, particularly in the BRIC countries, the growing development world. And we're looking at, with increased environmental regulations in those areas and concerns about pollution, that they'll probably be bringing their concentrations of the platinum palladium metals up in those catalytic converters to be more similar to North American standards. So, you know, if you look at the trend, increased growth in demand for platinum and palladium has, has really been in place since the early 1980s, almost year on year. The interesting thing about these markets today is that with so much of the production concentrated in Southern Africa and Russia, we've seen that the mining supplies basically peaked in 2005, 2006 for these metals and has been on significant decline since that point. So it really sets this market up for investors to have the opportunity that there may be significant price increases in the metals. And of course, increasing uh, underlying metal prices will mean higher prices for the equities in the market at some point. Let's address those members of our audience that have lost money in the sector, the market, gold and silver, and those that have been watching metal prices decline as of late. Why should we presently take a look at platinum and palladium, and specifically your company, Prophecy Platinum, as a potential investment opportunity now? Well, I think the context to always keep in mind when looking at the mineral sector is that it is a cyclical industry, which means that we go through these waves of, of demand and price increases and, and equity increases, and then we'll often go through a period, not just in this sector, but almost any sector, where if you perform at the very top of the performance ratings for any given sector for several years, you'll often see a period in which money is taken out of the sector and rotates. And you know, At this point, if we look back and we use uh, the gold sector as 
as an analog, the prices today for the mining companies versus the gold price itself are near decade level lows. We last saw these kind of prices on a gold miners versus gold basis in 2008 during the extreme market crash conditions and back in 1999 when gold hit its low at $250 an ounce. Now platinum and palladium have tended to track with gold in a broad sense and bottomed in 1999 as well and of course were hit hard during the 2008 crash and if we compare the platinum miners versus metal. We see a very similar pattern where even though platinum and palladium are up 20 plus percent if we look back over the last year or so, the platinum miners themselves have seen their prices cut in half during that period, so reflecting this kind of pulling of money out of the sector that you referenced earlier. The opportunity, I think, is when you see these kind of extreme levels of valuation, is this is the time for longer-term investors to be picking away and putting money to work at levels that are extreme undervaluation points and that are likely to turn as we see sentiment shift because, you know, at this point, these things really start to become very, very undervalued and are likely to start to attract capital back into the sector at these levels in the hopefully relatively near future. You're not necessarily looking for any special attention to the sector. You're simply saying that the value of the stock most likely doesn't reflect that value of what you have in the ground. And at some point, the market will recognize this and respond accordingly in a positive fashion. Yeah, and I think that if we can use these longer term barometers of relative value, it gives one a sense of, well, where are we in this this process? As you said, you know, anyone who's been invested in this sector since really 2010 has seen that the equities uh, have continued to move down, even though the metals themselves gold has been flat and you know platinum and palladium have moved up significantly since those periods and so that reflects really investor sentiment at some point that trend turns and the opportunities to be able to have accumulated you know shares in high quality companies at these extremes of undervaluation give the investor oftentimes much better returns when the sector actually changes. The thing that's encouraging to me is that the sentiment is so negative. If one takes a bit of a contrarian perspective, these are often the periods at which you know we're, we're close to, to lows in valuation and value investors start to swarm. And I think a good example of this is the private equity firms, the guys who are the professionals in the business, who do their due diligence and really take their time, have turned their focus to the mining sector in a way that I haven't really seen previously in the last 10 years or more. And I think they're recognizing the value points at this level in all stage of companies, the the major mining companies as well as the smaller ones. And with the fundamentals for platinum and palladium looking so strong, year-on-year increasing demand and falling production since 2005-2006, I think this sector is in particular getting a lot of focus and I think it's really only a matter of time before we start to see money flowing into these names recognizing the potential upside and start to see a turn and I suspect that much like the 99-2001 period for gold platinum may lead again like it did in in that period in terms of bottoming first and, and turning upward and moving up to new levels of highs. And you're seeing these indicators unofficially aren't you? Absolutely I think there's indications in the mining complex in general that there's been capitulation. You're seeing it very difficult for many companies to raise money. So there's a number of factors that are all indicators of just kind of investor fatigue. And as as contrarian as it sounds like, that's that's often a sign this 
difficult period is, is probably going to see an end at some point as the selling abates and as we start to see value investors looking to come in. You're somewhat of a high-profile CEO after your success with Nova Gold, Greg, and you took that company on as a co-founder and helped them achieve great success. You've been with only about three companies that I can remember, including Prophecy in the last 13 years or so. Did you seek out Prophecy? Did the company court you? How did this marriage take place? This is my third public company. I'm fortunate that you know, we had tremendous success technically and with investors You know, on my previous companies that I've been involved with. This is a company that really, Prophecy Platinum, had all the features that I was really looking for my next opportunity in terms of scale of the asset, location of the asset, new team coming together, some of which I've worked with in the past. And really, for me, uh, it was close to home in the Yukon, not too far north of where I live in, in Vancouver, and an opportunity to have a story that I felt really excited about, particularly when I dove into the trends that we see in the metals. And I think that platinum and palladium have got one of the best looking fundamental value equations with this increasing demand growth that's been on trend for years and years and the fact that so much of the production comes out of uh, South Africa and Russia for palladium that the opportunity to see the need for high quality new projects in a relatively small market space relative to the size of the gold market was a huge opportunity something that uh, I really just couldn't pass up. The Fraser Institute just released a study on what the best mining jurisdictions in the world are and yours is not very far from the top for several reasons. Talk about that. Yeah, the recent Fraser Institute study just came out. This is a study which basically surveys all the major mining jurisdictions around the world. You know, Canada consistently ranks near the very top, and the individual provinces and territories are ranked as well. So the Yukon moved up globally from the 10th best location in the world to the 8th best in this most recent survey, and, and that's comparing it against you know, 115 other jurisdictions around the world. So it really illustrates how the industry sees uh, the Yukon Territory. I think looking at our project in particular, because of the uh, infrastructure benefits that we, we have where there are existing roads and, and access to the project and access to ports, you would even probably move it up higher than that because, you know, the Yukon does have some areas which are quite remote. And if you're uh, a project that's remote and requires a lot of infrastructure build out, it's going to be more challenging. So I, I think it's a great indicator where the industry sees the Yukon. Political risk is an issue in the mining sector. We've seen a rise in geopolitical resource nationalism and, and geopolitical risks in the mining industry. The reality, Ellis, is that mines today are going to be found in two different locations. If they are large and of quality, they're either going to tend to be remote or they're going to tend to be in extremely high political risk jurisdictions, and that's why they haven't been developed. And so I think one would say that with the increasing geopolitical issues of working in many of these third world countries, though the, the targets may be very large and may have value, uh, I think many investors are seeking the, the safety and the, the comfort of working in a place like Canada and, and the Yukon Territory. Let's quickly talk about the share structure of this company. Yeah, so the company, relative to the very large size of its resource base, is, is really quite tightly held. We've got about 68 million shares outstanding. Management owns directly about 6% of those. And, of course, we have a larger exposure through our, our incentive options, which are designed to align you know, performance for, for shareholders. This is a company that 
We have some marquee investors. The Sprott Resource Group out of Toronto is probably considered one of the leading resource investors, and they own just under 10% of the company's shares. And then we've got a large number of investors who've, who've put money in the company successively and are strong supporters. So over time, I think you'll see, much like Nova Gold, you'll see an evolution of new, well-recognized institutional investors come into the roster. And that's really one of the areas that we'll be focusing going forward in terms of bringing in those investors that understand the sector and are looking for high-quality names to put money to work in. Can we see a stratospheric share price someday, much as we saw with Nova Gold? I'm really asking you to speculate here, of course. I think the opportunity here, based on our early initial models, uh, is quite encouraging. It would suggest net asset value on a per-share basis of several dollars, depending on what metal prices you use and other assumptions. You know, one could see current net asset value estimates in the 3 to $6 range today, and it's still quite early in terms of optimization and, and opportunity for growth of the resources, as we've talked about. If we look at the last time Prophecy put out its resource estimate back in 2011, there's a more favorable market at the time for juniors than we see currently. The stock moved from kind of this current 70, 75 cent level to north of $4 a share based on the development of a 7 million ounce resource. That resource is still in place. We now have engineering that wraps around it and the stock is back to the pre-resource valuation. So again, it's another indicator of the extreme level of opportunity in the marketplace where significant progress like ours is no longer being reflected in the share price, but ultimately will be again. Greg, thanks so much for the conversation today. I look forward to catching up with you again in the near future. Well, really appreciate it and look forward to uh, giving you an update again soon. I've been chatting with Greg Johnson, the CEO of Prophecy Platinum, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NKL and on the OTCQX as PNIKF. You can listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com, and we encourage you to download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes. Unless your brain is the size of a watermelon, like mine, you'd probably like to hear these segments again and again and again. Find us on the web at ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. The following segment is sponsored by LT Gray Silver Corp., trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. El Tigre Silver Corp. is focused on silver exploration and development in prolific Sonora State, Mexico. Find them on the web at eltigresilvercorp.com. Join me for a conversation with a frequent guest of the show, David Morgan, the silver guru, an expert on money, metals, and mining, also a lecturer and an author. Mr. Morgan has written Get the Skinny on Silver Investing, available on Amazon.com. His website is themorganreport.com. David, welcome back to the program. Alex, it's always good to be with you. You made me aware of this article on Bloomberg.com before I could get to it this morning. It's pretty big news. Trusting gold, not Bernanke, as U.S. states promote bullion with more than 12 states pushing for legislation to accept gold as currency. Yes, it's big news to me. Uh, Basically, a lot of states are waking up to the fact that they have the right to uh, settle in gold or silver or both. Utah was uh, one. It's passed legislation. And if you take time to read the article, it's a pretty short article, what you'll find is 
that uh, one, uh, the Constitution forbids the states from coining money, but it also forbids them from making anything except gold and silver, legal tender and paying debts, which of course always raises the question, and I've thought about this for years, that you know, if you're paying your property taxes to the state or your municipality or you're paying some kind of state debt, if you're paying them in a privately constricted script, i.e. a Federal Reserve note, you're not paying them in gold and silver, are you breaking a law? You know, no one's really brought that up. That's a side issue, but it's something to think about. And you know me, Alice. I love to make people think. One of the things this article brings out, and they're partially correct, is, you know, it's really tough to implement. And that's where I disagree. Because if you're actually taking coins to the marketplace and you're giving someone a one-ounce silver coin, how do you make change and all that? And from that aspect, yes, it is cumbersome. It is difficult. The price changes day to day. And remember, people, it's not that the coin changes. The coin stays the same. The price changes because the destruction of the dollar ebbs and flows. Sometimes it's worth more. Sometimes it's worth less. But that ounce of gold, ounce of silver, half ounce, quarter ounce, whatever it is, that measurement, that weight stays the same. Coming back on point, there's an easy way to implement this, and that is to use a depository and have the depository put in the gold and silver and then issue a debit card, not a credit card, but a debit card, so it's only backed by the amount of silver or gold or both that you have in the account, and then you use that in daily transactions, and in that case, you can get down to a gram of gold or half a gram or .0001 gram or whatever it takes to make the transaction transparent to the people accepting the debit card. And this has been implemented. There is a gentleman in Spokane, Washington, that has put together a program with any precious metal. It can be gold, it can be silver, platinum, palladium. You're issued a debit card and it works exactly that way. And it's a wonderful way to implement a return to gold and silver for these states. So I'm involved with that. Uh, we had him at the Silver Summit. Uh, he heard me a couple years ago, got the idea, and he's the only one to my knowledge that's actually implemented this program. There have been other ones like eGold that uh, kind of crashed and burned. I don't know the details. I don't want to badmouth it. But this is the only one that I'm aware of that's kind of up and running and actually working. So it isn't that hard today in today's electronic world. And believe me, what's the difference in a piece of plastic? I mean, this is the way almost everyone in the States anyway, Canada, I mean, most of the civilized world, quote unquote civilized, do go about their daily business. So I'm really pumped up about this. I think it just needs a little bit more of a push to implement it in these other states where it can be really used because the idea is great. It's just that people get the wrong idea that it has to be you know, coin over the counter. And again, that can be cumbersome. The question comes to mind about taxing gold and silver transactions. What are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of the biggest hurdle, so to speak. In the case that I'm referring to, with the debit card, every transaction, of course, is recorded. And so you are uh, logged in at that day and that price and what you paid for your 10 gallons of gas and if the silver or gold that you used was a profit or a loss to you. So you'll either have a plus or minus next to that transaction, and it's all done for you. You don't have to do anything. You just save those puppies up. We get one each month like any debit card statement, and you circle the pluses and you circle the minuses, and you add them up, and you either got a loss or a gain at the end of the year. Simple, simple, simple. So really, this guy has thought this thing through all the way. I think that this is very important. And of course, as the article says, Ellison, I know you're aware of it, that some states are just bypassing the state tax on this. But of course, when you're dealing with the feds, 
you know, that's an entirely different matter. And if you're so required, then, of course, this, again, accounting is taken care of for you. So it's not, again, something that is that big a deal. I mean, answers to some of these questions are really not that difficult. It's just that, you know, just a few people so far, again, from what I know, sat down, thought it through, and said, you know, look, you got the accounting software. All you got to do is look at what the basis is for when you bought the gold, when you bought the silver, and you either got a gain or a loss or a push in some cases. So let's say it's $30 silver and you, you know, you're using it that day and there's no profit or no loss. That could be the case, uh, probably rarely. But anyway, it's not difficult. You know what's interesting about this? It makes me glad that we have 50 separate republics or states within the United States. The states weren't really homogenized into a sole federal government with no states' rights. But I don't see a state like California or New York participating in this, do you? Probably not, but that's the beauty of states' rights, and that was sort of the idea, you know? If you're uh, super bent on, oh, let's say, a certain religious belief, and I'll use Utah, and you got a lot of Mormons, I mean, you move to Utah. If you've got a certain place where you're a big gambler, you think that, you know, gambling's your thing, and, you know, then you move to Nevada. If you don't want any gambling, you're in a state that doesn't want it. Now, that was sort of the idea, that not one size fits all. In the founding idea, we're all created equal, but that doesn't mean we're equally physically. It doesn't mean we all look alike. It doesn't mean we all have the same IQ. It doesn't mean that. What it means is that our rights, our ability to have our own way of living free is protected and given by God and protected by the Constitution as long as we don't infringe on someone else's God-given rights. It's really that simple. So you really just have to live your word and treat others as you want to be treated, and you go on. Now, that doesn't mean that some people don't want, like, say, drug usage or whatever, and there's some that don't. So they kind of filter out into their own little group, so to speak. And I'm libertarian, you know. As far as I'm concerned, I'm really anti-drug. I don't really care for drugs. But you know what? If you do, go for it. It's not my right to tell you what you should do or not do with your free time. And the state of Washington is saying that you can do that. Exactly. Precisely. And and it's fine with me. You know, for me, they're not. I don't want them. For me. That's all I can really decide. I can't say if it's right for John or Joe or Mary or Beth. I don't really care. It's their body. It's their right to choose. I like this idea of more freedom. And uh, that's what this is about. We'll be right back. The Ellis Martin Report is sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp. Trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. Silver has been considered a precious metal for 6,000 years and currency since 600 B.C. It's been commercially mined in Mexico since 1530 in mineral-prolific and mining-friendly Sonora State, where El Tigre Silver Corp.'s 5,000-meter drill program is now underway. El Tigre's properties with gold and silver mining concessions span approximately 267 square miles. With an attractive share structure and a strong, proven management team, El Tigre Silver Corp. is poised to identify a resource in an area that from 1903 to 1938 produced 75 million ounces of silver and 380,000 ounces of gold. Additionally, their tailing stockpile is currently progressing to production. Learn more about El Tigre Silver Corp. by visiting their website, eltigresilvercorp.com, or click through El Tigre's logo on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. We offer expert opinions only. Find them on our website, ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. I think I'd like to learn, and perhaps our audience would like to learn more about this debit card thing backed by gold. If you're in 
interested in learning more about this debit card situation, just send a email to support at silver-investor.com. That's support, S-U-P-P-O-R-T, at silver-investor.com. We'll forward them on to uh, Dale Olmsted. It's Dale Olmsted who started this debit card in Spokane, Washington, and I'm sure he'll be happy to give you some more information. Are you very involved with him in this project? Well, I gave him the idea, so to speak, because I was speaking at the Silver Summit two years ago, talking about this issue, states' rights and the implementation of gold and silver being used in Utah and how they're kind of leading because they actually had passed it. Some of these other states have thought about it but haven't moved it through the legislature. And I said, really, the only way I see it working is by a debit card, as I outlined on your show just now. And this guy took the bull by the horns and said, I've got it. I said, oh, come on, you know, because I've been trying. I've worked with others. I've worked with some bankers, you know, and just never was able to really get it off the ground. And he did. And so I went down and met with him and sure enough, signed this non-disclosure agreement so I could read how it's done. It's it's beautiful in its simplicity. And again, it addresses every issue straight on and honestly. It addresses the tax issue. It gives you an accounting so that you can do that. It addresses the profit or loss, as I just outlined. It addresses making the transaction very easy for both sides. So all of these issues that come up in this article are addressed, and they all work. So again, if there are any questions about this, send an email to support at silver-investor.com. Right, and if you could put in a subject line a silver debit card, a gold debit card, or debit card, or something like that so we can sort them. We get a ton of email. Yes, I do have a pretty good-sized staff, but uh, this may generate more questions than I want to deal with. We will forward them on. Don't expect David Morgan to answer these, but we will forward them on. David, thanks again for joining us today on the program. My pleasure, Les. Thank you. I've been speaking with newsletter writer and analyst David Morgan. His website is either themorganreport.com or silver-investor.com. Listen to this segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartreport.com, or find the Ellis Mart Report on iTunes. This segment has been sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. El Tigre Silver Corp is focused on silver exploration and development in prolific Sonora State, Mexico. Find them on the web at eltigresilvercorp.com. You should be feeling the effects of brain growth by now. Take a moment and relax. You can always catch up online at our website, ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. Join me now for a conversation with Dale Olmsted in Spokane, Washington. Dale is a jeweler, bullion dealer, and entrepreneur, and the purveyor of a new debit card, one you can use anywhere. What's significant about Dale's card? It's backed up by gold, silver, platinum, or palladium. Dale, welcome to the program. Why, thank you. Now, I just had a conversation with David Morgan. He was telling me about this guy he knows in the Spokane area who he met at a conference. I think it was at the Silver Summit a couple of years ago. Anyway, he talked to this guy about getting a debit card going solely based on gold and silver. You're that guy. You've actually completed that process. Yeah, David from Stage mentioned, you know, someday some guy's going to come along, he's going to offer you a debit card, and when you use that debit card, swipe that debit card, it's going to sell just enough metal to pay for the debit. My background's jewelry. I've been a jeweler for 35 years, and I've been in my own business since 1985. And then when gold went from 250 to 500 bucks, it surprised me. I go, whoa, my product price just doubled, but my income didn't. What happened? And so I became a student of the precious metals market, you know, and you would think a jeweler would be more of a student uh, at that point since that's his main form of income. 
And so the next couple of years, I started listening to people like yourself, David Morgan, Eric Sproul, I mean, Jim Sinclair. I mean, I go down the list of people that you're going to hear me parrot. In 06, 07, a couple of my affluent clients came to me and said, hey, Dale, you know, you buy precious metals. How do I do it? And so I said, well, you go to a bullion dealer and you know what, gentlemen, tell you what I'll do. I'll call around to all the different bullion dealers in the area and a couple different mints that I know are close, one over here in Hayden Lake, Idaho, and one in Seattle area, Pacific Northwest Mint. And sure enough, I was able to start being a bullion dealer for my clients, getting them the biggest bang for their buck, so to speak, buying as much precious metal as they could physically. And that's what I recommend. If you don't hold it, you don't own it. Then I kept thinking, you know, there's something more I can do for this because now my clients are coming to me going, you know, Dale, I have all this metal, but how do I go buy a loaf of bread with it? Well, you got to bring it back to me, get the cash, get a check, go to the deposit. He said, you know what? Something's eating at me. I know there's got to be a better way to do it. Well, along came the Silver Summit. And David mentioned what we just previously said. Within two weeks, I'd interviewed maybe six or eight different banks. We finally settled on a particular one that works really well with us, that we can issue checking accounts to people and or a debit card set up, and then they can use that debit card with metal in account, with cash in account, and I can send out the flyer to anyone that's willing to ask for more information. But it really describes the simplicity of being able to use precious metals as currency. And really, it's a complementing system to the current system we have until it changes or falls apart or whatever people are speculating on, we can actually take and use money, gold, silver, or platinum, palladium, whatever four precious metals you choose, and use it to pay your bills. Who holds the metals? I mean, you just said if you don't hold it, you don't own it. So we need a little bit more clarification. And what I mean by that is not everyone is ready to use their metals as money. It's a very select few. I'd say probably 2 to 3% of my clientele base are ready to use their metal for money. And what they've been doing, they've been doing it for years. They been stackers for, you know, since silver was probably five or six, eight bucks an ounce. I know this program doesn't fit everybody's bill, but I know in the future you're going to need to use your metal for money. And so what I've done is I've eliminated the cumbersomeness of taking your heavy metal to a dealer because they don't accept it over the counter at Safeway. By doing the system, the precious metal liquidation system that I've developed using a precious metal liquidation card, it makes it the smoothest transaction possible without encumbrances on your part of the traditional way of doing it. And then and who holds the metal would be you still hold your metal, but when you have a debit card, you allow me to be in possession or custodian of a smaller portion of your core. It's kind of like making up your monthly paycheck deposit and I even have some people that do that, I need to hold a certain amount of your metal in order for me to liquidate it at time of debit. So I'm in Spokane, let's say. This is localized. I'm in Spokane. And at some point, maybe to be determined by you, I'm going to drive over to see you. I'm going to give you some coin. You can make deposits in two forms, either cash or metal. Now, metal is done upon approval because i got to be able to sell it back into the market when you start using your debit card. The metal has to be approved in order for the system to work. If you give me something that's not marked or not a notable mint, if I sell it back into the system, I'm discounted because of refining issues or you know authenticity issues, that kind of thing. So we try to stay with notable minted stuff from the, you know, the recognizable stuff, although I can deviate from that, but that's only me personally because it's my trade. It's my line of work now. The system, though, we want to keep it clean and pristine and so we're using basically notable minted goods that way there's no discrepancy well let's say i'm listening to this program in los angeles where i am actually or new york and i want to do this how do i get started i mean it sounds simple but how does it break down well i have a couple different clients from out of town out of area really we still need to because it is a checking account we still need to follow the the rules in the of patriot act and all those processes that the 
I guess to be complicit and compliant, we need to follow the rules and regulations is what I'm trying to say. And so in order to open an account, we have to open it with a valid ID, your social security number. Really, that's about all there is. Unless you're from Canada or international, then there's a couple other pieces of paper that need filled out to verify you are who you are and that you're not some drug company or launderer of money. We don't want to participate like the big banks do. That's why we want to keep this as clean and pristine as possible. We don't want to muddy the water. We want to make everything transparent, everything above board. All right, I'm filling out the paperwork and getting it to you electronically or snail mail, and I'm also physically sending you the physical rounds or bullion that I've stacked, correct? If you want, you can use metal, and or if you want, you can also use the Federal Reserve notes at this time. And what that does is it goes into your checking account, and then you give a buy order and say, I want to spend all of it, I want to spend half of it. It really is your wealth. You make the decision on what you want to do with it. So in that respect, you're like a bullion dealer more or less, aren't you? Well, I'm affiliated with a bullion dealer, yes, because I have to be able to liquidate the metal into the market in order to pay for your debit, because we still have that transactional from metal to fiat. Money is metal to me, not our Federal Reserve notes. So what I might want to do is buy a bunch of, let's say, silver rounds at these prices, hypothetically. Make sure you get it. Either you have it or I have it, and then the value of my what's in my debit card could increase as the eventual prices of silver increases, depending on what you believe. Depending on what you believe, and that is one of the disclaimers that we get to put in, is that we're not a market maker and we don't have a way of dictating the price. It can go up or down and you can lose value as well as gain value. That's totally a risk that is upon the client or the customer, not so much us as a system, precious metal liquidation system, or the bullion dealers. What do you see happening in the future of your business? This is really my whole goal, is to service and help people preserve and protect their wealth for future use. Whether I do it one-on-one, individually, at a time, that's fine with me. I think I have a dragon by the tail, and I really don't know how big this dragon is. So the road is going to have a lot of bumps and a lot of turns and twists to it, but as far as I'm concerned, what our main thrust and focus is, is preserve and protect what people own, what they've worked hard for. Why aren't you on the road to Texas, Utah, or Colorado right now, and eight other states that are pushing through legislation to use gold and silver as currency. Well, actually, we've been in conversations with some gentlemen out of Utah, and also I've forwarded some information to Arizona, but I haven't heard back from Arizona yet. And so, yeah, we have an open line with Utah, and we're collaborating back and forth, and eventually maybe our two systems can join and be useful for each other, or maybe they'll just be, you know, separate in the free enterprise system and enjoy the fruits of our labor, and they'll enjoy the fruits of their labor. Dale, can you private label this? When you hand somebody the card, could it say... Ellis Martin report? You know, that's a great question, and I'll have to check with our bank and see what the ramifications of that would be. Right now, I have my company name on it with you as an account holder on it. I think it's possible. I'd have to double check. I could see with other bullion dealers talking about your peers out there. Well, they could have this card. That would only increase the business for these folks as far as I'm concerned, right? In the pipeline, I foresee, I'm not required as of yet, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to be susceptible to the requirements of 1099s for my clients. Even though my software is geared that it keeps track of every capital gain or loss with every purchase, if you made money or lost money on that purchase, and at the end of the month, it tallies it up along with your debit statement. It's just like a, a credit card, say, but a debit statement you get from us, along with your metal balances, and all this is integrated in the software, so it keeps track of everything. But some bullion dealers... They don't want that added expense or added headache of having to deal with red tape and the federal government, which, like I said, I know this program isn't going to fit everybody's bill, but it has a way of being very lucrative as in preserving and protecting your wealth and spending it wisely when you need to. You know, years ago, I remember when I was a kid, my grandmother gave me some savings bonds. 
This would seem like a great gift card for children or anyone else. That's a great point, Ellis. I've never thought of it that way. I do have a couple different clients that pretty much only use it as a savings account already. I basically have three different types of clients. The first one was, hey, I got this paycheck. Here you go. Here's your deposit. And it runs and it works just like a checking account. So when somebody uses that money, then that's no part of mine. I don't have any control over how they spend their money. It's totally their money. But if they say, you know, end of the month here, I have 200 bucks left over. Now go ahead and buy the silver for me and here's my next paycheck. They make a deposit into their account with their paycheck. Another month rolls along, they go, hey, I got 100 bucks left over, buy another $100 with a metal. And so we keep that going. And then on the third month, they go, oh, whoops, I got some tires that blew out. I need 400 bucks out of my metal. You don't have to tell me. You just swipe your card. If there's no money in your account, no cash currency in your account, then we sell enough of your metal to pay for that debit. So it's kind of a very smooth, integrated transition that the end user, whoever you're vending with or purchasing from, they don't know what you're using. They just get their settlement in their currency of choice. And that happens automatically. Automatically, yes. That's what we do as a business. That's part of our transition. That's what we created and do for our clients. I mean, I see all sorts of promotional ideas being an old radio guy. There's all kinds of promotional benefits if somebody can just pass out a gift card, a gold and silver gift card. That's kind of a prepaid situation. And there's a lot of fees that go along with that to purchase it and then to use it. They're a little bit higher than the normal average debit card or credit card swipe when a vendor uses it. From me being in my own business as a jeweler, accepting different cards, they're not all the same. Some of them are gleaning, they say an average of, I, I'm charged 1.79%. Some of those that are 2-3% cash back stuff, some of the commercial vendors that are using those or accepting those are being charged more for that card than they normally would be because of the added things that are being kicked back to the client. Okay, so that could be a plus or it could be a negative. But it sounds like it's mostly a negative. From what I've checked into it so far, I'm not really geared for that. I'm pretty much focused on how do we make this monetary thing more smooth and transition than the cumbersome for metals, because you can't haul around 100 ounces of metal. That's seven pounds of silver. You know, and you don't want to be handing that across the, to go pay for your car, although I've bought a couple cars with 100 ounce bars before. It just depends on the person you're dealing with. I understand you've gotten several inquiries. What have people been asking or saying? That's a great question, and I have them right here in front of me. Most of the questions are very similar to what you've already asked. How did I get interested? What's going on with it? How long has it been in place? Going on a couple years, and then has it been working now? Or, and it, Yeah, absolutely, it's been working. The different amounts, we have the four precious metals. I don't know if I mentioned that before we operate in holding accounts of silver, gold, platinum, or palladium. If copper wasn't so low and hard to store, I could probably do copper too. There is bullion copper out there now. Can the card be used in ATMs? Of course, we have our daily limits as all cards are limited and those are negotiable. Sometimes if a high valued client has more available to him and he wants more available on his debit card, then yeah, we can probably negotiate that out. ATMs are acceptable. And then can I just deposit metal? Can I deposit cash? We covered a couple of those. If I need to sell my metal quickly, smaller amounts, it's automatic with the debit card. And say you had $100,000 worth of metal here and you needed to sell 50000 of it and have that transferred somewhere else to do whatever you're doing with it, you probably need about 24 to 48 hours, 72 at the most, to make those larger transactions happen. Is the metal insured while it's in my custody? Absolutely. Through GMI insurance, through Lloyd's in London. That's who we're with. What are the fees? That's the biggest question. Really, there are no fees because we're working with a free checking account. In the precious metal holding account, the only thing that might be an expense would be if you don't use your metal throughout the year, I have an insurance fee that I need to 
to cover it, which is 0.2% of the value of the metal at the end of year. If there isn't any metal liquidated through a year, we got to pay for the insurance somehow. So 0.2% on 10000 bucks is $20. So that's the minimum that we use is a $20 fee. That's the only thing, and that's only after a year breaking into 12 months. It's about a buck 66 a month <laughs> on the fee side. Now, how we gain and glean our overhead, okay, because we do have to pay for things, is as if you were walking in physically and buying metal, taking it away and bringing it back and physically selling it to us. There's a spread. The bid-ask spread, if you're familiar with the industry, that's very standard where you have a buy-sell spread. And so that's really what we're working on, depending on the products, whether it's silver, gold, platinum, or palladium, they can range anywhere from 2 to 10%. Just depends on what we're doing and, and how much we're doing at one time. Like you would go into a bullion dealer and buy and sell. Same thing. Okay. What do you want to say to people that are listening to you for the first time today, which would be our entire audience? Well, most of the people that are listening to you are waking up and or the ones that aren't awake yet, I'm going to shout out, wake up, <laughs> look around the world of it going back to a gold standard. If the government's not going to allow us to use our constitution and dictate that we're only to use gold and silver as money, we the people can do it for ourselves. We don't have to wait for the government to give us permission. They already have. It's in our constitution. Wake up. Learn things. <laughs> they didn't teach me that in school. That's why I became a student in 0203 when the metals went from 250 to 500. And it's just been a, sometimes a slow learning curve and then sometimes a really fast one. So that would be my main thrust is wake up, people. Wake right. up, America. <laughs> How do we find you? Email. Email is probably the best way to get hold of me. And that's going to be at the pmb-v at hotmail.com. And if you really must speak with me, you can also call. I'm a little reluctant to give that out on a large radio interview as yours, but... Don't do it then. Don't do it then. Well, I do have a business to run still. This is not my first and foremost, even though this is really unique too. My bullion business in four years is 500, I just figured this out, 500% bigger than my 35-year jewelry business on volume. Now, profit ain't even close. <laughs> my jewelry business is still my mainstay, my main thrust, my main provider, and so I have to accommodate that and still make jewelry and provide for my clients in that aspect also. But I eventually see this taking over that, and I will probably, within the next six months to maybe year and a half, be out of the jewelry business and strictly doing the bullion business. Dale Olmsted, thank you very much for joining me today on the program. I look forward to speaking with you again to find out how the business has progressed down the road. You bet. Sounds good, Allison. Thank you for your time, and I appreciate all that you do. I've been chatting with Dale Olmsted, jeweler, bullion dealer, and entrepreneur, bringing forth a precious metals back debit card. Contact Dale through this email address, pmb-v at hotmail.com. That's pmb-v at hotmail.com. Or email me at martinreports at gmail.com. Listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com. We follow those that like to be followed. Follow them yourself at ellismartinreport.com. The following segment is sponsored by Bellhaven Copper and Gold, a junior mining company with cash to support its current drill program, plus a foundational resource of copper and gold to build upon in Latin America. Bellhaven Copper and Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol BHV and in the U.S. as BHVCF. Dudley Baker is the editor of JuniorMiningResources.com. Mr. Baker has 35 years of accumulated knowledge and experience in trading stocks, options, leaps, futures, 
options on futures and warrants. As part of his service, he provides insights as to when insiders are buying and selling and issues buy and sell recommendations based on his research. Dudley, welcome back to the program. Great to be here, Ellis. Now, last time we spoke, you were here in our Los Angeles studios. Now you're home in Mexico. You had a long road trip back and passed through El Paso again, where you sat in on one of your son Jeff's classes at UTEP, University of Texas in El Paso. He's a geology major there, and you had some questions for his classmates. Tell us how that went. I tell you, this was really fun. My son's in like a, uh, it's a graduate class, economic geology class, a three-hour class. They had a guest speaker this week, which was Mark Isaacs. And Mark actually now lives in El Paso, so they've got a really great resource with Mark living right there by the university. Mark used to be with several of the mining companies in the past with Animus, with I think one of the founders with Pediment and with Argonaut Gold. He comes from a a wealth of experience. They didn't know I was going to be setting in or else uh, I would have got more time on the podium, so to speak. So it was already scheduled with Mark to do his thing. And literally, he's talking to to the class about economics and the financing and and all of this. So all of these are geology students. Most of them, well, they've already graduated, so it is a graduate program. And my son's the only undergraduate in the class. Really fascinating hearing Mark talking about the financing, whether you go public, whether it's a private company and private placements and all this stuff. But just a fascinating and a really, really, really fast three hours. The professor, Philip Goodell, just a great guy, been there for quite a few years uh, at UTIP, and they're really trying to bring UTIP and the geology program back to, I want to say it's former glory, I'm not familiar with that, but UTIP used to be the school of mines, and now, I mean, it's just an incredible campus. What kind of hope did you come away with regarding new generation of young people? becoming involved in geology? Well, you know, I think it's a short group of folk. There is the realization that we broached before is that maybe for so many of these exploration companies, it just seems like their objective is just to continue exploring. You know, when do we take it to the next level? I've come to learn it's, it's not a totally a black and white issue, but there are some companies that should be called into question here. I see this in the acknowledgement from the professor as well as from Mark Isaacs. I think it's cool that this subject is being broached now at the university level as to, I'll say, the younger group of geos coming up that may be a little more aggressive here. As I said, it's, it's not black and white. It does seem to make sense that at the earliest opportunity where you could start producing some revenues for a company, then you've got funds to continue doing your exploration work. And I think this is where some of the companies are missing out. I've got a few that I personally own, small companies, and I see that they're taking the projects into production, even though it may be small projects. I think they're going with this mindset that I want right now is like, damn, let's start bringing in some revenues here because if your stock's sitting down here at 10 cents, how long can you continue just exploring and selling more stock and exploring and selling more stock? If you've got the ability to start doing some kind of production, bringing revenues in, this is going to be a major asset for that company down the road, I believe. I think the, the younger generation is seeing this. Are these kids taking strong business administration classes because you really can't run or work for a mining company in a management position unless you have a skill set or education in business as well as geology? Exactly. This is the focus. This is a brand new program that Dr. Philip 
Goodell is putting together here. And I think he's looking for this to be like a one or two year transition period to really define what they want to do with this new program, but basically economic geology. Now, one of the former students, I'm not sure how much time he spent at the university, was William Sheriff. And William Sheriff has got ties to UTIP, and he's like the head of four companies. It used to be Golden Predator now, America's Bullion Royalties, and Silver Predator. So it's a whole little basket of companies that William Sheriff's associated with. Also, Peter McGaw, one of the top geos, if not the top geo in the business, is very close to Dr. Goodell. The gist of this new emphasis here at UTIP is that to combine the geology background with the economics and let's face it, if all you get out of school is you just know how to, you know, break the rocks or so to speak, you know, you're not qualified to be running a company. So this is to help bridge the gap, give these students in a graduate program a lot more of the economic background that they need to maybe be heading up a company or know at least what to be expecting out there. It's really a cool situation, and I know my son is right there at the right time to take advantage of this situation. Ellis, you've met my son before. You know, he's kind of a talker like his old man, so he's very interactive in the class, very excited about what's happening. The other night, Mark uh, at the class was talking about Rick Rule and from financing and, and being a tough guy and all that stuff. And so I had to tell him a story about when my son first met Rick Rule at one of the conferences with me. And then he made a reference to Brent Cook, again, who is uh, one of the, the good geos in the business that also has an investment service. And he's told some Brent Cook stories. And I said, Mark, excuse me, but I got to tell you, Brent Cook is the reason why my son is sitting right here in this class today. My son heard Brent in a two-hour workshop and got all fired up about you know, getting into the geology program. It was just a lot of cool, interactive conversation with me going to class. And so I can, I can definitely say every time I'm in El Paso, I'm going to be sitting in on that Tuesday night class. It's an open format for especially anybody in the business that wants to drop in and uh, be a part of what's happening. But they are definitely bridging this gap between the geo and the economics and the financing that you're going to need to run these companies. It will definitely take a while before these young men and women can find their way into a position to make strident changes in these mining companies and in the sector. There's no doubt it is. I don't know how extensive this program will be once they figure out how to do this, but I'm not sure it's all book learning. I think so much of the learning now, let's say in this new program of the economic geology, is bringing in serious players in the business right now, like the William Sheriff that already heads up four companies. When they started this program, so several months back, William Sheriff had a comment that if there was a graduate of this program right now, that he would hire four of them, one to run each of his four companies, because he sees now the benefit of getting some good financial education to go with just your geology. We know if a young student just started straight into college and majoring in geology, you'd probably be getting very few business courses along that path. Each individual is different. Through the years, my son's picked up a lot more business classes, so he's more savvy about the business aspect of the business. And and having met the Rick Rules of the world and quite a few of the presidents of the mining companies, Jeff's had some great conversations with these guys. As opposed to just reading out of a textbook about financing and financing in the mining arena, here you're going to have some of the top people come into the class and do a two or three hour session. And now this is real life stuff. And I think the interesting thing makes it interesting for the students, sure makes it interesting for me to sit there and hear their perspective. It's gonna be a good deal for the university. As uh, Dr. Goodell said, he's not aware of any other school 
with the geology program, our school of mines, that are em- embarking on a program similar to this. So he's pretty excited about where he's going to be taking this program. We'll be right back. The Ellis Martin Report is sponsored by Bellhaven Copper and Gold, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol BHV and the U.S. as BHVCF. Columbia is no longer the country made famous by Tom Clancy books. Terrorists have been tamed and corruption has been cleaned up. In 2012, the World Bank cited Colombia as the safest jurisdiction in Latin America for foreign investment. The country is now host to at least seven major mining companies and numerous junior exploration companies, companies such as Bellhaven Copper and Gold. The Caca Belt of Colombia hosts more than 63 million ounces of gold in resources and reserves, and more than 40 million ounces of that has been discovered in the past six years. In a depressed market for resource equities, Bellhaven's quality resources at surface and a world-class gold belt, cash to advance current drilling, and strong management make it both a value stock and a growth stock. Find Bellhaven on the web at bellhavencg.com. We offer expert opinions only. Find them on our website, ellismartinreport.com. Well, Dudley, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks again for joining me today on the program. I look forward to your next visit to California. You bet. Thank you. I've been chatting with Dudley Baker of JuniorMiningResources.com. Listen to this segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com. And if you're not doing so already, download the Ellis Martin Report on iTunes. This segment has been sponsored by Bellhaven Copper and Gold, a junior mining company with cash to support its current drill program, plus a foundational resource of copper and gold to build upon in Latin America. Bellhaven Copper and Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol BHV and in the U.S. as BHVCF. Join us next time for the Ellis Martin Report. Remember, this is actually one of those paid programs where companies and individuals pay us to let you hear all about themselves. Invest at your own risk. Get more of these powerful programs free on the web at ellismartinreport.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.